love, comma, God. We're putting a comma back in there, Elaine. Bob, got us a comma again. I promise, says the one who created the world. I promise, says the one who backs up his word. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. I'm going to begin and read down to verse 20. Powerful, powerful scripture here. I don't know if you'll be able to stand it. Just get ready. Talking to Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he, Abraham, had patiently endured. Say patiently endured. So important that you don't forget that. So important that you don't get ahead of God. Patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So God, thus God, determined to show more abundantly. Hallelujah. You're not even reading that right. Because if you were, you'd be shouting all over the place already. Thus God, so God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. To the heirs of promise. The immutability, the non-changeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Oh my goodness. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Oh, you don't even know. You don't know. I know Brother Steve is hearing me. I know you are. Are you picturing this? God saying, I'm going to, I'm so determined that you get this, that you understand the power of my words, my promises over you. That it goes beyond religion. It goes beyond your cute little devotionals and your studies. It goes beyond your conversations. It goes beyond any promise of a man. He says, I swear by my own name and by this fact that I will never lie, cannot lie, impossible for me to lie. 
my promise will be more abundantly steadfast and sure in the lives of my kids, my people, my heirs. Wow. Jamie, we don't know who we are. Trent, we don't know who we are. We think we're cute. We think that if we just come together and have good attendance, acknowledge a little amen to the preacher's cute message, and we all walk out slapping each other on the back, saying we'll see you next week, we think we've, we've done something. I'm talking about a God with one word created the whole world who is, as the choir just sang, here, right now. Here, right now. There isn't anything that can't happen in this building right now. There's nothing that can't happen in the next few minutes. Miracles can take place that resemble the Red Sea parting and the three Hebrew children thrown in the fire. Why the very lions of this world could be attacking and persecuting and coming at you. And the angels of God, just like that night, are here right now to do the work of God again. Wow. 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 Hallelujah. I'm not done reading. Hold on. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There's so many messages in there. We could preach a series all the way to Easter. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will challenge, speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you will minister to the people, that when we leave this house today, we will never, ever be the same again. We have been more deeply rooted, grounded in the Word, discipled, by your spirit and Lord set free in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and everyone agreed and said amen you can be seated I do want to acknowledge my friends and Whitney's mom and dad Clay Mickey wave at us Larry Morris from Oklahoma are here today and we're excited to have them they're precious wonderful church of God folks so when they come here, they're just home. So we, we love them, and we're glad they're with us today. I could just preach from the passage of Scripture and just read it again and not get so many amens. We'd feel like we've had church, and we could just go home. But I feel like the Lord is wanting to get a message across, and I'm going to get through it very quickly to try to help you and I to understand what we're about here at Stratford Heights. We are about, we're about making sure. I was talking with Jamie and Trent the other night. And we're about... Not We want to experience, encounter the presence of God, the power of the, of the God we say we serve and love 
We want to know him as intimately as is possible. So when you come in here, for people who are just kind of into religion and into kind of hanging out, you know, and playing the game, so to speak, you're not, you're not, you're probably not feeling really comfortable right now. And, and that, that's normal. It's normal when you're surrounded by a bunch of folks who are pursuing the presence and the power of God, chasing after the Holy Spirit's work in the church. It's, it's normal for you to be uncomfortable. But my hope and my desire and my prayer is that God is going to touch you with such a passionate hunger and thirst for him that you will have that encounter and experience for yourself. Because once you tap into it, Brother Warren, once we tap in to that deep place, I mean, Paul said, for this cause, I bow my knees before the Father, that you will know the immeasurable gift of Christ, the awesome power of his work, and that you'll know with all the saints what is the love of God, the width, the length, the depth, the height, until you are absolutely just overcome and overwhelmed by this great truth planted like a tree that can't be moved. There's nothing greater and more wonderful than the work that God wants to do in the lives of his people. And let me tell you, he's doing a good work. He's building up his kingdom and he's getting us ready because in just any moment now, I am ready. People may not agree with us. They may not like us very much, and that's okay. It hurts sometimes when people don't like us, don't it? But it's all right, because at the end of the day, I live every morning to get up and say, Lord, you be pleased with my walk, with my talk, with my life, with my faith. I'm going to preach what I know to be the powerful words of God. I'm going to live my life as an example of someone who is blessed because I get up every day determined I'm going to be obedient to the words and the will of God and I'm going to walk by faith that pleases God and I'm going to pray and seek Him until I know Him for myself. I, don't, I love you, but I don't want to trust in your religion. Your idea of God does not impress me. I want to know him for myself. I may see a relationship with him in you. And I may be hungry for that. It may stir up my appetite. But it doesn't stir me up to want to follow after you. Makes me want to know him. For myself. And in that process, that church is the bride of Christ. Wherever she's meeting today, wherever that is, I mean, there are churches all over town. And my prayer is that they are encountering and experience this same presence of God that we have felt here today. I want that more than anything. I don't like an us for and no more mentality. I think we ought to be constantly striving and doing everything in our power to bring the entire body of Christ together, wherever they're meeting, in houses, in buildings, in churches, wherever they are. They might even be in the hospital this morning. But wherever they are, I believe there's enough of God's power at work in this earth that if we'll all just get in on the good work that God's doing, we'll see a last day revival like we've never, ever even known was possible. I want to see it. I believe it. I know that he wants to do it. I know it's the will of God, and I want us to be a part of that. We have to understand, though, that it starts with us. It starts with who we are.
We have to be determined that we are going to walk in such a way that God can empower us to be a part. And it's so hard. That Why do you think we talk so much about don't be uh, uh don't get involved in religiosity that was the pharisees and the sadducees don't you be one of them you've always heard me saying it and it's true you figured out what they were all about when you just said their names they were sad you see these people were so pathetic to them religion was about all this stuff that they that they they had all ordered together and it it was a bunch of rules and regulations and laws that were put in place and God looked down and said, I've got to have a a new and living way. I got to create a living way. And God, you know, those folks didn't understand and know what it was to have the Spirit of God move like it's happening in here today. The Old Testament folks didn't have those encounters like we had. They would have fire by night and clouds by day, and they would have amazing, miraculous manifestations. But for you and I to have a new and living way, I don't have to... Pray for a priest to walk in and make a sacrifice for me. I now can come boldly before the throne and I can kneel there and my petitions can be known. I can bring my own heart into the presence of God. I can go beyond the veil. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my high priest and he lives, he lives inside of my heart. And because I have that encounter and I have that experience, big God is expecting some things for us. Cindy, that's why he says, I hate division. I, I hate, now I'm using some, somebody says, now I've taught my kids not to say those words. Well, read the scripture. The Bible says God hates talebearers and gossips and things that cause division, people that cause division and tear down. He doesn't like those things are are horrifying in his sight. Why? Because his power in this room ought to be about edification and building up the kingdom of God and love conquers all and never fails. And you and I need to understand while there is a work of the spirit to transform and change our lives, we become new creatures in Christ. But what he's saying is once you become a new creature in Christ, You ought to live like it. Does anybody in here still believe in holiness? Anybody in here still believe that there's a righteous way to live, that we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ, and that we're to walk in that man? We're not to look like the world, act like the world, talk like them, or walk like them. That doesn't mean you got to go back to beehives. Every woman in this house ought to have said amen, standing, clapping, cheering. The strongest amen I got was from Brother Worley. (laughs) I don't think he wants to see Sister Worley in a beehive. (laughs) Because we found out through the searching and through the intimacy of relationship with God that it was about what was in here That it's about what's in here. And when this is right, this starts to just automatically be okay. It becomes modest and and it becomes right and righteous. It becomes holy when we start here. But you know, the enemy is so determined to do everything he can to plant seeds of doubt in people. Seeds of doubt which leads to discouragement. 
And when the enemy, he, he is not after you so much. So some of you, it's easy for him. Easy breezy for him to get you to go down to the casino and to go down there and get you an Aki Hall and get you a cigarette and you're sitting there pulling on the slot machines and next thing you know, you're out there, you know, robbing a little old lady on 2nd Street and you're, you know, some of you, that's easy. Devil just laughs and just puts a little temptation in front of you and you go out there and kill somebody. But for most Christians... You've got to be a lot more sly than that. So what he does is he sneaks into your life. He sneaks into your circumstances like he did with Eve that day. Don't you remember? He slipped into Eve's life and and he said, Now, did God really say that? Is that what God really meant, that you would die? And Eve got doubt in her mind. And from there, doubt went down discouragement alley. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll remind you today because someone is here who needs this. Discouragement is the number one weapon the enemy uses against the child of God. If he can get you discouraged, then you don't look like an heir. You don't walk like one, talk like one. You walk around and you're the saddest representation of Jesus Christ, champion of our salvation. You make him look weak. And the enemy loves to get you in that place. Now let me tell you, everybody has been discouraged. So don't don't feel like, oh my gosh, the preacher's preaching against me. No, I'm not. We've all been there. The enemy loves to discourage God's children. He loves to tear you down and rip you apart. He loves to make you feel isolated and alone. He'll tell you nobody loves you and nobody cares about you. And you're over here in the corner. He'll tell you all kinds of things. To Once he gets you in that spot of discouragement, man, he just kicks you while you're down. And he just keeps kicking and keeps kicking until he absolutely destroys you. And then it's true what we read in the word in John 10 and 10 where it says the thief comes to to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus once again saves the day and he says, even though you are discouraged, even though you feel defeated, even though you have been forsaken by man, you are never forsaken by me for I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. He comes to negate the work of the enemy. He comes to tear down the lie and tear down the trap. He wants to bring you up and set you in a high place. He wants you to feel and to know he is the God, the captain of your salvation. Hallelujah! He wants you to know you are victorious through him. You are an overcomer through him. And there is no devil in hell that can come against the hand of God over your life. So take discouragement and just kick it. That was like an old time church of God preacher right there. Woo! (laughs) Doubt and discouragement, the lethal weapon of the enemy. It's like an infection that gets in your spirit. 
And it's contagious too, have you noticed? It's so contagious. My goodness. It's epidemic. I've noticed that when somebody lets a seed of doubt get planted, that grows a whole bunch of discouragement. Next thing you know, man, you're surrounded by a bunch of other people feel just like you do. And you sit there and y'all just go back and forth. And next thing you know, there's a whole crowd. And everybody's all discouraged together. Everybody's down in the dumps together. Everybody's feeling sad together. Everybody's mad together. It's a parasite from hell. It must be annihilated. There must be an answer. And when I was searching and looking in these scriptures that we have and we've read for you today, I saw the answer to discouragement. I saw the answer to the seed of doubt. It starts in our minds. But the Bible's clear to let us know about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when we are pierced by the enemy, the arrows that fly by day and the terror that comes by night, he reminds us that his promise is that his angels will encamp round about you and my, you and I, lest we dash our foot against a stone. The Lord is determined that we understand and know, Brother Javier, that he is our champion, our deliverer, and he's working a plan in us now that every day we will be an overcomer. You don't have to live in discouragement. You don't have to live there. You may find yourself down in that pit right now. But I want you to look up and I want you to see the, the shepherd as he's reaching down his hand and pulling you up out. He may have to reach way down. You know, he, when he found me, he had to reach way down. But he nevertheless, his hand was not shortened that it could not save. He was able to reach right down to where I was. As Christians, we possess a constant and continual hope. The answer of Jesus Christ. You know, the greatest miracle that ever took place in your life was the miracle of salvation. When God saved you, that was the biggest miracle ever. He literally got you to a place where you were ready to accept Him as Lord and Savior. He got your heart in tune in such a way that you were ready to change your whole life and you knew you needed a Savior. What a miracle that was. That was the greatest miracle that will ever happen in your life. Your wife can't get you to change your mind about a TV show. But God was able to turn your life around and give you a whole new heart. Somebody posted, I don't know who, I can't remember who it was. Somebody posted yesterday as I was going through a Twitter feed. They said they, their father needed delivered from the remote. <laughs> it brought a smile to my face. As Christians, we possess a hope, an anchor of hope, this word says, against the storms of life. A hope, an anchor of hope. Not, not a, a fond wish or desire. I've talked with people before and I've said, well, you hang on because God's going to come through for you. And they go, I hope so. There's two things that go through my mind. One is 
pastoral. Oh, no, you must understand. God is our hope, and our hope is an anchor. You can trust it's built on a solid rock. And then the other side of me comes up and just says, punch them in the face. (laughs) I'm kidding, Brian. Brian's going to sign me up at one of his sports teams just now. An anchor. Hope that's an anchor. Not an I hope so kind of. Don't you ever say that as a child of God. Don't you ever look at a promise of the Lord and say, well, I hope. I hope he'll come through. I hope he heard me. I hope. What? I know, I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. If he said it, he'll do it. If he accomplished it, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. He's a God of his word, and there are two immutable forces. One, he cannot ever lie. And number two, he absolutely swears an oath on himself, puts his own reputation on the line. God will not be denied his word. He's God. He's God. He's God everywhere. He's God at the White House. He's God at the Red House. He's God at the, at the other house over here. He's God in, in the Ukraine. He's God in North Korea. He's God everywhere in Puerto Rico. He's still God. He's there. And he's going to help those folks. He's God all over the place. What's that old song? He's God over the ocean. He's God all over the sea. He's God over all creation. He's God all over me. He says he's God. He's God on the platform. He's God at the back door. He's God in the amen corner. He's God forevermore. Woo! Awesome. Awesome. I'd much rather get a little wild and protest up here behind the pulpit than out there in the world where I can't get nothing accomplished. He's God. And what he says goes, he made a promise. He gave Abraham a promise. He said, you're 99 years old, but I'm going to make you father of many nations. I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. <laughs> I'm sure there was all kinds of doubt. Sure, there was all kinds of problems. 99's a little late to be starting a family, much less a nation. Can you imagine? (laughs) Wow. I'm sure that Abraham had some moments, but we know he and Sarah did, because we know they got a little ahead of God and tried to solve it themselves, because they was a little worried about how old they were getting. So then comes Hagar and Ishmael, and we don't even want to talk about what that did to the whole world. We're still dealing with that today. Somehow, even in the midst of all of that, Abraham believed. He believed. He wouldn't let go. He waited patiently. He was told when he was 75, but it didn't come to pass till he was 100. Somebody in here needs to be reminded, God makes a promise, but you got, your job is to wait on it. Your job is to wait on it. Don't you get ahead of God. You'll mess up. You'll end up in the bed with Hagar. 
Don't you get messed up. Don't you get off track. You trust in the Lord. If he said it, he's going to fulfill it. If he did it, if he put it out there as a promise, then you can hang on to it and you wait on it. It says in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The promise comes. The promise will always be right on time. God will always come through. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He is going to always come through. He may not come when you want it. He may not come when you need it. But he's going to come on time because he's an on-time God. I think I got that verse right. I'm not sure. Did I? Thank you, Sister Betty. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, talking about Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee, Paul said, a father of many nations. Before him who believed even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Whoa, 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 wait. What did I just read? Who quickeneth the dead. Even God, who quickeneth the dead. He makes dead things come to life. You may feel like that promise is dead. You may feel like that promise is over. That promise is long gone. But God can raise promise from the dead. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Then it says, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Against hope believed in hope. That just means, if you put that in old Tennessee language, it means that when the deck was stacked against him, God came through anyhow. That's the way my granny would talk. When the deck was stacked against him, God would come through anyhow. God will always come through. He'll always come through. Your job is to wait patiently, hope against hope. God said to Abraham, it will happen. I will blow you away, but you wait on it. And that's our instruction today. Hold to the promises of God. Don't let go of the promise of God because it's sure and amen. The promises of God are. I'm sure Abraham... If he looked at just his circumstances, there would have been a thousand reasons why he should have given up. I'm too old. She's definitely too old. Nothing like this has ever happened before. We've tried to have babies our whole marriage, 75 years. And I'm telling you, we have never had anything yet. And all our friends are going to think we're nuts. There were a thousand reasons why he could have given up. But against hope, his faith stood strong and so will yours. Abraham, for, another, for the greatest miracle, Brother Charlie, to have ever taken place in the scriptures. Because you see, God had a promise. Oh, this is, listen to this. When he looked at Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you with a son. And you're going to be the father of many nations. Your seed is going to be blessed. When that word went out, God already had it that one of the precious 
wonderful great, 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 great grandsons of Abraham's line was going to be the one who would usher in and bring salvation and deliverance to the entire world. God knows that when he makes a promise to you, it's part of the plan that he has to bring a promise true for lots of other folks down the road. God's got more than just you on his mind when he's working. He's got somebody else in your shadow that's waiting to come into a place of promise for themselves. God is working a miracle already ahead of your miracle. So don't you worry about yours. You just hang on and wait because God's got a whole lot more at stake than you do. He's got one promise after another that's waiting after yours is fulfilled. Then he starts working down the road on another one so you can have confidence that God brings you to a place where you don't have any other thing to hang on to. He will literally take out all the support around you, every human effort around you and cause you at times to stand completely alone. But you know why he does that? You cry. You feel alone. You feel isolated. You feel forsaken. You feel like nobody loves you. But God says, I put you right in the middle of a place where I can bring a miracle to pass because now you're not leaning on the arm of flesh. Now you're not leaning on all your friends and your family. You have no one but me. And now I'll bring a miracle to pass. Hallelujah. Now he can bring the miracle to pass. Y'all are preaching me happy. I was supposed to end already. When God is the only help you have, that's a perfect place. It makes you an excellent candidate for a miracle. God's word. Start praying God's word and God's promises every morning. And don't you, you endure. You wait patiently. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You will make it out. You say, I'm crushed right now. All right, you're crushed right now. But don't worry. Hang on. God speaks to those things that be not as though they were. He can take your dead situation and turn it around. God can take anything that, that is, it looks like it's impossible. It looks like there's no way out and God can bring it to pass. How many of you would testify real quick and say, I've had impossible situations that God brought a whole miracle out of it. Amen. Look at the hands around you. God means, he means to show himself powerful. And then when he, he not only made a promise, but he said, I want to give you a strong consolation I want to give you a strong courage to give you a strong anchor when the storm is raging and you don't understand he says not only do I give a promise which by my unchanging nature is enough the promise of God is enough. But he said, because I want you to have more than enough, he said, I'm going to swear an oath on my own name and reputation. Do I promise you that I will be God 
in your situation and you will not walk alone and I will bring my work to pass. How many of you here today have got the victory through Jesus this morning? You've got the victory, you've got the promise, and you've got the, the oath. God has, has sworn an oath that he's going to come through for you. He cannot lie. Will not perjure his name. Will not fail. Somebody needs to hear that. I like it when the Holy Spirit, Jeff says, say that again. God will not fail. He will not fail you. Will not fail you. He has his hand on you. As I said earlier, you're the apple of his eye. He's got you right in the palm of his hand. Don't you look at your circumstances, Abraham. Don't you look around at what you've got, what you think is happening. Don't you look at the circumstances and think, this is, oh my goodness, something has went wrong. You just remember that if you're at a place where you're standing all alone in the middle of nothing but a hope of a promise, that's the best possible place you could be. Because God is not going to fail you. Stand with me this morning. I am indeed here for you, says the Lord. I'm in your midst. And I'm here to show myself mighty and powerful on your behalf. But you must exercise trust and faith in who I am. I will not fail you, says the Lord. I do not have a reputation as failing one of my promises. You shall be delivered. You shall be victorious. I am working on your behalf. Look to me and lean on my promise. Do not look to the left or to the right. Do not trust in what lies before you. Circumstances are not part of the equation. Look to me now and know that I am God. I am going to come through and you will be delivered at my hand, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're new to our church this morning, we are a spirit-filled church and we believe in tongues and interpretation of tongues. The gifting of the operation of the spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit is trying to seal that's what he does he seals the work so that you have confidence to know it's like he goes the extra mile beyond the promise to make sure that you understand and know that he's for you he's not against you God's here for you today he wants you to know that what you perceive as giving up you've come in here today and you have this spirit of just this attitude of, I'm just, I'm done. I, 
can't take another step. I can't do it. I know you're here today. I don't know you. I have I haven't heard anything. I'm just I know what I feel in the spirit today. I want you as you're standing all over this congregation, as many as will, would you just slip down to this altar this morning? Just come for a closing prayer together. Would you meet me here in the altar today? And if you're here today and that attitude is in your heart and you're going through the trial of your life and you don't even know how you got there, I want you to slip out and meet us in this altar as well. I'm not asking for perfect people to come to the altar. I'm asking for sons and daughters of God, some who may be hurting.